The BOAG World Show is back, and in this season, we're going to be asking how to improve your conversion rate without resorting to dark patterns and causing buyer's remorse. This week's show is brought to you by Vast Conference and Balsamic. Hello and welcome to the Boag World Show, the podcast about all aspects of digital design, development and strategy. My name is Paul Boag. Joining me on this week's show is Marcus Lillington. Hello, Marcus. Hello, Paul. Um, I'd like to say, how did you enjoy your summer? But it's still very summery out there. I know, right? This is just great. It goes on forever. It goes on. Yeah, on and on and on and on. Very sweaty. But yeah. nice. Yeah, you can't really complain, can you? I mean, you know... We don't get it very often, so no. It's well, although typically I'm I'm playing outside music. This is uh, next Sunday, and I looked at the weather forecast for next weekend, and it's raining. Oh well, yeah, that warm. That's that's inevitable, that's isn't it? So so it's good to be back after our little break. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Anything exciting happened in your world since since we've been away? No, no, nothing. Uh, no. I went for a, a pedal steel guitar lesson. Uh, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it, what, that was quite exciting for me. Right. It's not very exciting generally in the whole grand scheme of things. What, I've uh, been talking, talking what, about getting one for over 10 years. So I actually it, went and had a go on one. So is it a special type of guitar then? Is that, that the thing? You, if, you, uh, if you imagine, picture the, the standard country and western band, okay, and there's the guy yeah. up the back sat down sort of playing a guitar-like thing, yeah. which is like, it looks like a table. Oh, it's one of those. oh right. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, that's quite, no, I approve. That, mm. that sounds fun. And they're also, beca- because they've got all these levers and pedals that change the, the, the kind of pitch of the strings, they're also a bit of a puzzle. Yeah. An enigma to play. So yeah, I haven't got one yet, but I went for a went for a lesson, which was a big oh, step. A, that sounds fun. Well, I've had. But that's mo- about it, really. Yeah, I've had more excitement than I could handle. So I know, Paul. It's, it's sad stories. Tell everyone your sad stories. Yeah. So I, I I I I've been conned out of a lot of money. I know well, it's awful. So yeah, it was a weird one. So we're getting we're getting loads of building work done, as you know. And um, uh, how do you know about this? Oh, from from Slack. That's it. Yes, you follow things on Slack, don't you? I forget. Um, yes. Uh, yes, and and we were doing doing our building work, and um, uh, you get invoices through all the time, obviously for for different amounts. And we got our latest yep. invoice through for sixteen thousand pounds, which is always very <laughs> terrifying. But you know, you go with it. Um, and, and we get we got that on the Thursday, and it had to be paid within five days. So, so we got given a, a printed invoice, and and then the builder sent us a, uh, an update over the weekend saying, um, "Oh, can we, we're having um, some audit being done. Can you pop it in this account instead?" You can see where this is going. So, yeah. so because it came from our normal um, uh, uh, builder, it was. It was signed by the right person. It referenced us by name. It had details about our our invoice in it. There was no reason to think that it was a, a fraud. It wasn't like a, a, a phishing attack or, a, you know, yeah. somebody has spoofed the email or whatever. So we went ahead and transferred it. 
and then got a phone call call from him on Monday going, "Uh, our internet, our email address has been hacked, breached. So somebody had got into the email and had read all of the emails, worked out there was an opportunity to get some money. And Mm. um, yeah, so they walked away with 16 grand of our money. So, Awful. I know, right? And and you've you got seem to, no, you seem to you seem to have t- uh, taking a sort of slightly lighter view of it now. Yes, I mean you've got. I guess to, really. what else can you do? Yeah, yeah. I, I think the the bit that was the most stressful was that initial. Well, the the builder panicked and we panicked, and you go into defensive mode. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Where yeah. well, I'm not paying that, and and the builder's going, well, I'm not paying that, and and so mm. it all gets a bit tense for a while. And then we were both of us independently, because he's a lovely chap, absolutely great. Um, You know, had overnight when we got to sleep on it, went, hang on a minute, we're both victims in this. This sucks. Why should we, you know, be fighting amongst ourselves when it's some other, you know, idiot that Mm. has done this? So we've just split it between us. But you haven't got hope of getting it back. You know, it's just not a a chance. And the, the banks are pretty, you know... I mean, we literally, it was probably about two hours that elapsed between the transfer and Mm. um, the builder contacting us and us then contacting the bank. But then they go, you know, you're put through to a call centre in India who said they're going to raise a a fraud complaint. Um, And then, you know, two days later, you get a call from the fraud team. Well, of course, by that time, the account's been emptied and everybody's moved on. So... And the police are just overwhelmed with the problem. They can't deal with it. So, you know, just that's it, really. But there you go. Has anything good happened, Paul? I went on a driver's awareness course this morning. Did you? Did you now? Because <laughs> I got done <laughs> for speeding. <laughs> yes. So well, I got, I got done for speeding uh, about two months ago, and I, I was going too fast to be allowed to go on the course. Oh, dear me. <laughs> So, so yes, yeah, I had. I've got to tell this one because uh, I had the jolliest policewoman ever pull me over. Right, and, she, and I got out of the car, and she said, "You're my fastest today." Uh, In exactly that kind of kind of uh, kind of voice, and she also said, "If you'd been going two miles an hour faster, you would have had to have gone to court." And I'm like, "My no, word, you really, no. you really was, went for it then." It was a. It's a road that used to be forty, and now it's thirty. Okay. Uh, and I was doing forty-seven. Right. So, and it's also I just, just I couldn't say this, but effectively I was just daydreaming. Yeah. I was like, la 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 la. Drive. I was going to get my hair cut or something, uh, and then all of a sudden, oops. Yes. Anyway, I so, quite like the driver awareness course. The one I did manage to get on years ago. I've got to I say, it was interesting. Yeah, I've got to say, it was pretty good. It was a lot better than I thought it was, um, and mm. it ta- taught me actually quite a lot about presenting to a hostile audience. She was brilliant. <laughs> she was really, really good because obviously nobody wanted. No, had no intention of you know enjoying it or listening. You know, you just turn mm. up because you're supposed to. But she turned us all around and and gave a very good presentation. I mean, not all of it. Uh, was particularly realistic in my humble opinion but you know it she she certainly got me to pay attention and to learn stuff so you know good on her really yeah exactly so, so there we go so uh, yes I, that, that that's my life 
So should we talk about this season? Because we have spent seven minutes of me moaning about everything that's gone wrong in my life. So I feel like we yeah, should... That's, that's a valid, valid moan, that one. Yeah. Proper valid moan. I, I, You're I, not allowed any more, though. I, I am... <laughs> um, well, I am now. I tell you, it's beginning to get to squeaky bum time with this house. So, you know, not, <sighs> it's not good. Anyway... Yes, I'm thinking about one day starting just a, a podcast dedicated to, to grumpy old men whinging about stuff. Because I think there's a market for that. There certainly is. <laughs> Are there grumpy I can old join men? in. Yeah, yeah <laughs> yes. exactly. So, um, yeah, What's this happening season, in this, 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 this season? Yeah, so the idea of this season, well, it's typical me, isn't it? That, you know, I've, I've spent months and months and months working on this this video masterclass that i've been doing okay huge amounts of effort putting it together um hours of of video lessons going in depth in how to encourage people to take action without alienating them you know and and using dark patterns and all that kind of stuff and i've put the whole thing together and i'm really pleased with it i'm so chuffed with it and the idea is i'm supposed to be selling it right but the trouble is, is you produce something like this and you go, will it be a waste if it only goes to a few people that I sell it to? <laughs> so, so as a result, I thought, well, let's do a season on it. You know, let's work through it, talk about um, some of the lessons and some of the stuff that I did and, and what I've come up with and stuff like that. So I'm essentially now going to give away a lot of the content that I'm asking people to pay for, which it is okay because I figure... In the videos, I'm a lot more coherent because I've got, you know, script and it's all prepared and it's, you know, nicely filmed and all the rest of it. I also get to go into more detail. And there's quizzes, which is always a bonus. People like quizzes, right? Mm. Yes, Paul. Yeah. Well, there's, there's, there's visuals as well. I'd say that was and there's the visual. main well, you, Yeah, and you get to look at me. Yeah, there's always one downside. Okay. So anyway, I'm going to go through it now. If people if people want to um, uh, pick up the course as well, obviously I'd be delighted. You can do that by going to boag.world forward slash CRO, conversion rate optimization, CRO dash masterclass. All right. So that will take you to the, the, the whole, um, yeah, give you all detail of, of what we're going to, um, we're going over on this season, but also you can buy the videos if you want to. Um, we won't cover everything in the season. I'll be honest with you. There's too much material, but we'll, we'll at least kind of give it a go. Um, but before we do that, Marcus, you're going to do a thought for the day this season. I probably should have asked you that in advance, really. Uh, yes, I am. So have you got one for us today? Yes, I have. That was handy. Correct answer both times. Good. Uh, uh, yes, this one. Some of these are going to be longer than others. Some of them might be, because obviously half of them, more than half of them, I don't know what they're going to be yet. Um, But this one's a bit of a long one, but we'll see how how we we kind of do on it. Because it goes back into the mists of time when we first met each other Mm -hmm. um, and how all that happened. But it came about because um, it seems that at the moment, lots of agencies like Headscape, or bigger than Headscape, but lots of agencies are being sold. Mm. Uh, so there's this there's, there's this ongoing question of whether you should be aiming for that, whether you should be growing your company, or whether you should be just happy with your lot, I suppose, to a certain extent. Mm. So to grow or not to grow, that is the question. And I thought 
So the, the first place to start really is back in the midst of time when you, Chris, and I all worked together mm-hmm. um, at a .com called Town Pages. Um, just to kind of give us a bit of background on, on, on what's happened to us really over, over the years. And we start, as I say, we started at a .com, where, which was the, the typical model uh, for a .com where you have a kind of vague idea of a business and then you go and sell that vague idea of a business for millions and millions of dollars um, and hire people hand over fist uh, and then it all comes crashing down horribly. Mm. I remember you t- telling the story once about when you had to go to America. Um, oh yeah, uh, to, to, to sell the, to sell this business to. Oh, I assume it was the Nasdaq. Um, yeah, I got the impression that you were sort of uh, if you if you got a bit too honest, you were kicked under the table. Or I'm probably mixing my stories up. Um, th- you are mixing your stories up. It was a different <laughs> occasion that I was kicked under the table repeatedly. But the, <laughs> the, uh, in fact, it, it, it was almost a bit weird in america you know america's where i had you know proper financial people that know their stuff would come up yeah. to me and go yeah how's it feel like you're going to be a millionaire by the end of this year and i was sitting there thinking this doesn't add up there's exactly. you know there's no logic in it, it, it the, the business case doesn't work so yeah it was a weird time wasn't it it was, uh, I mean, and and that business case didn't work, even though it was sold. Um, it, well, it didn't work to the point of view that the management at the time asked us um, if we could do something different with the business, which which we said, well, maybe we can do a kind of agency model, uh, mm. and which was remarkably successful. Uh, well, I'll come on to that in a minute. Uh, but though it, inevitably that, that the dot com folded, and at that point we. We had been working as a kind of agency for 18 months, About, I think it was about that yeah. long. Um, and we had a bunch of clients that were mid-project, uh, and Paul, myself and Chris at the time said, well, it would be madness for us not to try and set, some, set something up to sort of keep this thing going, because obviously we, we weren't starting from scratch. We were starting from a, a place way up higher than that, because we all ha- had quite a lot, of, at the time, quite big name clients clients like the national trust and travel bag and things like that mm, mm. um so uh, and and also very key to that we'd learned we felt um at the time how not to run a company yeah uh, but i think the, the point that i'm kind of going to get to here is we we hadn't learned how to run a company we just learned how not to run one if that makes correct yeah um but you know, it, it was, we started in a position of strength. We got stronger and stronger. We were winning more work. We were hiring more people, uh, and it was all great. So we thought. But at the time, though we didn't realise it at the time, probably around 2010, so eight years in, our days, looking back at it now, seem to be filled with worries about. Sorry, about very noisy, noisy cars going by. Um, worries about kind of hr issues or mm. keeping up with project work that you know yeah. stuff would stuff would go out you didn't know about uh, but boring mostly, stuff that you don't care about well you don't want to care about yeah a number one worry was how are we going to reach this enormous target at the end of every month yeah um and we managed to do that for quite a long time until it all went bang for us in 2014 mm-hmm. and we were forced to downsize um which we just had a really bad year and these things happen um but since being a lot smaller 
though those kind of worries, you know, you still get HR worries and you still worry about targets at the end of every month, they're considerably more manageable uh, and more pleasant to deal with, especially for an old man like me. Mm. Um, and it's, it's, it, it's worked for us, I think, because we never had an exit plan uh, in inverted commas. Um, but I, I started wondering, when I was thinking about this, I started wondering, well, what, if it, what would have happened if 2014 hadn't happened to us? Would we have carried on growing? Um, mm. uh, would you still be with us, Paul? Um, it's, 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 a, it's a sort of weird thing that I think about. And I, you know, would, would have the eventual mm-hmm. crash been even bigger or would we have kind of like changed our plans and done something entirely different? Because I've, I've sort of banged on about this idea of being, you know, it's lovely being small and all this kind of thing, uh, which it is talking about those kind of ideas about less pressure but i just sort of started to think well we never we, we were never as i said previously we, we were never given this this is how to run a business kind of no. talk by anyone no, who, who gives that kind of talk i would never know i guess if you go to business school you learn things like that but we never did any of that um so we just got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger because we thought that's what you were meant to do but we were kind of as i said we were forced to, forced to downsize um when we had a bad year so uh, this all kind of flips right back to the top of... So, so when should you look to grow and when should you think, hang on, this is just right for us? And mm. I think, as I mentioned earlier, if you're thinking kind of exit plan or we're going to sell the business one day, then something, things like having a big turnover, having lots of clients, uh, giving off an air of we're a big company, having kind of C-suite titles like chief executive officer and chief of operations and all that kind of stuff, swanky offices, all, all of that kind of stuff is, you could argue, more likely to persuade a buyer that you're the real deal and worth spending a lot of money on. Uh, I, I guess there's a kind of an element of perception and even theatre involved. In, in oh, absolutely. Kind of, and yeah. I think that's, that's the one thing I learnt from the dot-com days, mm. that it's, it's about theatre, it's about mm. presentation, it's about styling yourself and selling the business actively. Mm. I don't think it's all... I don't think it's all... It's quite a negative way of looking at things, although I think it's... I, what I'm, I believe in what I'm saying completely, but I think it's not all negative. I think that it may be that you might have a, some kind of dream um, of, I don't know, creating a particular product or something that would demand you having a big company. I, I, mm. I, I'm thinking of Tesla, for example. You yeah, know, yeah. Elon Musk wouldn't be able to make rockets um, without having a huge uh, company behind him. Um, or it might be that you want to kind of give back in some way. I don't know. There could be a kind of charitable angle to it. But usually it's just about let's, let's make this thing make as much money as we possibly can. But how many people go into business thinking that? Most people go into business, I think, certainly small businesses, with an idea of let's make a living. Um, so if you're not thinking we need to sell or, or your, your dream doesn't warrant being supported by some massive company, then I... I, what I recommend is that you look, you look at what is the perfect size company for you, and that's going to be different. It might be just you, or it might be 50 people. In our case, it's about sort of eight of us, eight to ten of us. Uh, but I think that if I could go back and give any piece of advice to somebody who's got a kind of new business that's starting to take off, is just think about what is the perfect size for you personally as the kind of owner or founder of that business. That's my thought mm. of the day. And I think it, as well, it's, uh, you, to answer that question, you've got to ask yourself, well, what is it that you want? 
you know, some people are entrepreneurs that love building things. Mm. Um, for, so for them, growing and growing and growing a business makes a lot of sense because it's, it enthuses them, it excites them. You know, some people um, want more time. Some people want more money. Some people want mm-hmm. reputation. And none of those things are wrong. They're all, they're exactly, all perfect. Yeah. yeah, they're perfectly valid reasons. But uh, so many people don't really, aren't really honest with themselves about why they want to run a business you know, uh, or why they want to grow that business. You know, in my mentorship that I do, I come across a lot of people that say, we're looking to grow. And when I ask them why, they're not really sure. But what it actually comes down to is, well, I want to grow because I need to take home more money, right? And that's nothing to be ashamed of to say that. But growing might not be the way of doing that. Exactly. That's what we found. I mean, if you'd asked me that question 10 years ago, I would have said, we want to grow. And and you would have said, why? And I would have gone, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, because that's what you do, isn't it? Uh, and yeah. yeah, I probably would have I probably would have said, well, because, you know, we'll make more money. And as it turns out, you don't necessarily. I mean, you can no. do. You, there are more opportunities. Of course, you know, if, if you can create this great business that it becomes something that's sellable in the end then of course you're going to make more money in the long mm. you know the longest run but are you going to be happy i think that's what my real yeah bottom line is and a lot of people will say something like um oh, i want to grow because i want to win bigger projects right because i want to work on more interesting stuff and that's absolutely fine but again you don't necessarily need to grow to do that you know i work no. on some very big projects yet you know it's just me on my top so there's a lot of misconceptions around growth i think it's mm. it's an interesting one i'm not if people want to grow a big business go ahead you know i think it's fantastic. good on you yeah yeah but I, you know I, you've got I to admire be cl- people yeah you just got to be clear about why you're doing it i think yeah. that's the key anyway that was a good one thank you marcus my pleasure so um we're going to talk about our first sponsor for the day, which is um, something a bit different for a change. We do have we do have some of our regular sponsors back this season, and I'll get into that more in detail. But for this episode, anyway, we've uh, we've got a new sponsor, which is Vast Conference. Ooh, um, what's this, Paul? Yeah, so it's a bit different. So they they basically um, uh, allow you to hold remote meetings and manage things remotely so it integrates that sort H- of conferencing sorry yeah yeah like a conference not a no not conference, a conference yeah. you go to a conferencing facility so it, it integrates like hd audio um with web meetings allows you to collaborate with clients you know with your uh, laptop and mic and all of that there's no special software no special hub we're just very very simple um, okay. So this means that no matter where you are in the world or what you're doing, you can connect with your clients and prospects really straightforward that without even the need to have a dial-in number that charges you per minute or any of that kind of stuff. If you need to jump on a quick call with a colleague, you can do that using the instant uh, conferencing call facility. Um, you can, And it just gives you a heck of a lot of flexibility when you're building your business that you don't need to be tied to a specific geographical location. You can visit... Uh, conferencecalling.com to start hosting a conference call and online meeting straight away very fast very easy um, they've got a 30-day free trial which you can redeem by going to conferencecalling.com forward slash trial 30 
Or you could even just talk to one of the... They have real human beings you can talk to, which is lovely. Um, so you can pop along to that URL and ask to talk to a sales rep. Um, and if you do, make sure you mention the fact that you found us via the Boag World podcast. But yeah, ch- check them out. There are, uh, there are lots of these kinds of services out there, but this looks like a particularly interesting one. Um, and they're very uh, keen which is always great from from a sponsor and from any product you use, isn't it? So check them out. Okay, so what we're going to do is each week we're going to deal with a different topic um, from uh, my masterclass, as I said at the outset. We're actually going to do two topics per episode, right? Or thereabouts. It it might vary a little bit. I'll be taking notes. Will you be taking? Well, I'm hoping you're going to actually contribute. And, and I'll try. What, what I'm interested in is is where you know maybe I could add future lessons or go into a little bit more depth than I have on these things because I I want to kind of grow this masterclass as we go along. So I'm quite interested to hear what you've got to say, actually, Marcus. All right. So the the, the two that we're going to look at in this um, episode is we're going to look at deciding on your metrics, um, and then we're going to also look at driving quality traffic. Right, but we're going to start off by deciding on your metrics. If you are going to do, it, it's, it's so dumb. It feels so dumb to even say this, but it's kind of important. If you want people to start improving your conversion rate, you first of all need to know what you're tracking. Mm. And I know that it, it's like so duh, mm. of course, but it's amazing. I, I don't know whether it's still the case with your clients, Marcus, but with mine. I'm amazed at how many clients really aren't tracking anything. They don't know whether their websites are being a success or not. And I was on a conference call only a couple of days ago, and the CEO asked the person in charge of the website, oh, what's our conversion rate on dot, dot, dot? And that person couldn't answer the question. You know, you need to be, that needs to be front and center of your mind. So how do we go about doing that? Well, I always start with business goals, all right? Um, so, and every organization has some kind of company strategy. For, for a time, it was, you know, back in 2015, um, everybody had a 2020 vision, didn't they? Because oh, that, yes, that sounds cool. We've moved a bit beyond 2020 now. But, yeah, so there'll be some company vision that you've got, right, that probably got handed to you in some very expensive posh kind of printed form and you just shoved it in a drawer somewhere and forgot about it well i'd really encourage you to get that out because that that gives you the basis of the vision of where management want the company to go and it'll be broad brush stroke stuff so it'll be we want to increase revenue or we want to reduce costs or we want to gain a competitive advantage or grasp more market share or something like that all of those things together or all of those things together but what that what yeah yeah we want to do everything yes and, uh, and the whole world is our audience exactly yeah but it's at least it's a starting point yes then what you can do is you can take those and you can turn them into goals for the website so for example if the if the the um the company strategy says we want to increase revenue right and your website isn't maybe a direct, um, you know, e-commerce site where tracking revenue would be obvious. You can go, okay, well, then we need to, um, you know, track 
the number of leads that the website generates because that will increase revenue, right? Mm. Yep. Then you take those goals and you turn them into very specific measurable KPIs, right? So you might then go, okay, so we're going to track the number of people completing the contact us form or the number of people calling the telephone number, right? Mm -hmm. Well, hang on a minute. How do we know how many people uh, call the telephone number? Well, that's where maybe you want to get a dedicated phone number for the website that provides you with those kinds of stats. You know that 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 if they called that number, they've called via the website. And there's all kinds of services to do that. So it does take a little bit of imagination to, to turn those website goals into measurable KPIs, right? So, you know, another thing might be, okay, so we can't track, um, you know, how many people call us because we can't do that telephone number thing but we can at least do how many people looked at the contact us page right and use that as an indication and okay that metric is not going to be perfect by any stretch of the imagination you're going to have to use your imagination to come up with some stuff um there's going to be a lot of guesstimates but you need to be measuring something measuring something is better than measuring nothing as long as you bear in mind that that thing that you're measuring is not perfect, right? And don't become obsessed with it because I see people do that. Oh, yes. We haven't managed to increase, you know, e-commerce transactions by 5% in the last quarter. Therefore, we failed and should fire the web design department. Yeah, who managed to grow things by 30% the previous year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So... Their guidelines are not targets, but they are important to be tracking something. Mm. So, what kind of things should you be looking to track? Well, in my mind, it normally falls into three areas, right? Mm. And it's really important, I think, to have a balance of these three areas, right? Area number one is usability, right? It's got to be usable. You know, your website's got to be usable, and so you should be tracking... My word, that was loud. Um, You should be tracking um, uh, figures related to usability um, because usability is then going to feed into all kinds of other uh, (laughs) metrics that you want to track in terms of conversion rate, reducing support calls, lots of other things. So I often track usability metrics. Obviously, you're going to track conversion metrics. But the other one that you should be tracking is engagement, how engaged people are, because that has long-term implications on revenue. Um, So those are the three areas it normally falls into. So I'm going to look at each of those three areas very, very, very briefly um, and and look at, well, what kind of things can you be tracking in those different areas? So we'll start – I'm going to change the order from my notes a bit and start with the easy one. We'll start with conversion, right? Now, obviously, you're going to be tracking the number of people that um, complete a contact us form, right? Or you're going to be um, tracking the number of people to place an order. But you need to be a little bit more sophisticated than that, right? So the first thing to say is track quality and not quantity, okay? So just because you have a form on your website um, that... Uh, people are filling in and that becomes a lead for the sales team that is of zero use if those leads are all rubbish 
And I told the story before about a marketing department that was measured on, on mm-hmm. the number of leads and a sales department that was li- um, measured on the number of leads to be converted. So all the marketing department did is drive loads of shit leads to the sales team. So they met their targets and left the sales team kind of scrabbling around dealing with these rubbish, you know, um, inquiries. So it's really important that you have some metric that measures the quality of leads, not just the quantity. So it's not really enough just to measure the number of forms being submitted or number of contact forms being submitted, but rather instead how many of those go on to convert. So it's worth putting that extra effort in to do that. Also, the other thing I would encourage you to do is try and associate a financial value with those um, conversions as well. So, for example, let's take something like a contact us form. Let's say you've learned over time that one in every 20 contact forms that are completed turns into a lead. The average lead is worth this amount. You can therefore calculate how much it's worth somebody completing a contact us form. Make sense? Yep, totally. Okay, good. And then the final thing that you need to be tracking, this kind of goes back to quality a little bit uh, when it comes to conversion, is don't just track... Um, a, a customer's um, an, uh, um, spend there and then, right? So let's say you've got an e-commerce site. You're not just interested in how many, you know, how much somebody has spent on that particular transaction. You're also wanting to track lifetime value because repeat traffic and repeat purchases are incredibly valuable to a business because there's a much lower cost of sale. So make sure you track that as well. So that's conversion. That's the easy one. So the next one is usability, right? How do we track usability? Well, there's lots of different metrics that you can look at, right? So this is, I I can't get into them all now, so I'm just going to kind of give you them and then you can go away and Google them to find out a little bit more. The first is um, task success rate, right? So when you do usability testing, what percentage of users are capable of completing critical tasks on your site? right and you should be looking to always increase that value and it actually with that particular one you probably don't even need in many cases to do usability testing you can just look at your analytics if you've got a, a flow the number of people that start that flow compared to the number of people that complete that flow, uh, flow is a useful metric to be tracking second one is time to complete task On average, how long does it take a user to complete an essential activity on the site? From the point of them arriving to going and completing that contact us form, or even if it's a long contact us form, the time from when the page loads with the contact form in to the time they hit submit. Those kinds of values are really useful because obviously the lower the time it takes to complete tasks, the uh, less dropouts you're going to have, the more people are going to complete it. Another thing that you can test in usability testing is the error rate. How often do users make a mistake when trying to complete a task? So that's something else that you're going to want to bring down. Um, So those three are are kind of really good common ones that you can be using every time you're doing usability testing um, and also with your metrics. But there's more stuff that you can be looking at as well. So here's some really cool ones that you can go away and Google. There's one called uh, the System Usability Scale which is a long-established survey for measuring uh, users' perceptions of the usability of a site. So you might want to check that out. That can be a really good one to track. 
And the other one is a task performance indicator. So it's a metric that combines multiple criteria together to judge a site's overall ease of use. And I'll include in the show notes related to this show links off to more information on those two. Okay? So that's usability. Right, what was the last one? Oh, engagement. engagement. That's right. That's right. So engagement to is measure this isn't it yeah this is an interesting one but it, it's quite important uh, increasingly these days where where a website isn't just transactional in nature so for example mm. take my own website right my own website uh, okay my my ultimate conversion rate uh, conversion characteristics are twofold they are how many people sign up for the newsletter how many people contact me all right yeah but when i write blog posts i'm also uh, or, or, you know, I, I'm also looking to engage with people over the long term. That's why I blog regularly. That's why I do podcasts and that kind of stuff. Mm. So I'm also looking to draw people in because if they keep coming back to the site, I know eventually they'll sign up to the newsletter. I know eventually they'll have some work that they might contact me over. Right. So engagement is really important to me personally. And that uh, in a lot of situations, if you're selling any service, engagement is a really big one. Right. So, how do you measure this? Well, one thing you can do is look at attention minutes. How long users are paying attention to your content, especially stuff like video. So, you know, um, I need to pay attention to how much those people that stream this podcast episode, right, rather than download it. If they download it, I can't track attention. But I can look at how long they're listening to it online you know are you getting to the end or are you you know you hear uh, marcus's thought for the day and you zone out perfectly understandable and you <laughs> you know you just turn it off right <laughs> so I, and you could do the same with how long someone's looking at a page dwell time now be a bit careful with dwell time because it can mm. just mean that they're horribly lost but that's another issue so there's attention minutes. The second one is first impressions, right? So you can do a first impression tests when you do usability testing and get people's initial reaction. Is the initial reaction a positive one? You know, what keywords do they associate? You can do something called a semantic differential survey, which is oh, a right mouthful. Um, and, <laughs> I'm doing and some wrote, usability testing at the moment, and that's the first thing I ask them. Yeah, what what's your initial impression? Get into the Absolutely. get into the detail of stuff. Secondly, because uh, you've got a, 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 you've got that very quick opportunity to get some really honest feedback, which is yeah. yeah. And I, I actually agree. wrote, I actually wrote a post on this a while about about testing aesthetics, mm. um, uh, and I talk about you know how do you get those kinds of initial impression, um, and you know how do you get them just to not say something like well, I don't like the green, which isn't particularly useful. So I will link to that um, testing aesthetics uh, post. But basically what you're doing is you're saying, okay, here's a whole load of different keywords. Which of these represent the, 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 the website? So you're not getting them to say, you're not saying to them, what do you think? Because that's when they say, oh, I don't like the green. But you're actually saying, pick out the words that most represent it. And if they're good, positive, upbeat words, then you know you're doing great. Right? Yep. Third one with engagement is interaction. How often do users like or comment or share your content? Um, that can be a really good one for knowing how engaged they are with that content. Even if they're saying negative things, they are at least engaging with it, although you've got other problems to deal with there. Yeah. Um, so is that. Um, another one is interaction depth. 
So how many times does a user click when navigating through a site? So on, on a site like mine, that is a really important one because, you know, if they're looking at one post, that's great. But it wouldn't it be great if they were looking at two posts or three posts and they were, you know how when you, I want, one day I want my site to be like Wikipedia, you know, you click and go through to one article and then before <laughs> you know it, an hour's gone and you've kind of gone through this branching tree of reading more and more obscure articles about all kinds of weird things. You know, that's, that's my dream for Boag World. I'm a long way from it, but, you know. You need to be, need to be as, as interesting as Wikipedia, Paul. Yeah, mm. and, and I don't think mm. I quite am yet, but anyway. No. No. Then the final <laughs> one, which uh, is the, the kind of more obvious one when it comes to engagement, is something called the Net Promoter Score, all right? So that's a metric for measuring how much users um, uh, would recommend your site to other people. So, again, I'll, I'll put a link into Net Promoter Score um, to the show notes as well. Um, so that's, that's really all I want to say on designing metrics. Obviously, I get into more depth when I do the, the videos, but that's all that we've got time for now. What I do want to do is take a break and talk very quickly about our second sponsor. That is Balsamic. These guys. <laughs> right. I know that the Balsamic guys listen to this, right? <laughs> This guys, this this is getting silly now, right? Because yeah, you must not uh, whether they're getting any value back from it at this point is quite beyond me. Although to be honest, as I said at the end of last season, I have given them the sponsorship of this season for free, and the reason that I've done that is because they put to, they helped me put together this entire masterclass, right? So they've been involved in its creation. They've given me advice. They've, they've um, supported it financially. They've, they've put so much effort into it. It felt bad to actually charge them for sponsorship for this season of the show. So uh, as we were covering the topic of the masterclass, it felt only right to include them on. So um, I've worked with these guys so much recently and, and, screw what balsamic is right we've got all season to talk about that the thing that strikes me most about balsamic and this is totally off script now is that the guys these guys absolutely love what they do right they are absolutely committed to the web and the web community they you know they contacted me out of the blue um once uh, and said we want to support you in what you do. We think it's cool. What can we do? And I went back with all these like sponsored opportunities and all that kind of businessy stuff. And they were going, no, 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 no. What do you want to do? Right? Not what can give Balsamic the most exposure, but what do you want to do? And I, I'm just so impressed with them. And from using their product, if you contact these guys, they are there for you. They are supportive. They're um, they're uh, got great customer support. Um, and they're a really great bunch of people. Um, oh yeah, and they do some. They've got a wireframing tool as well. So check out check out their wireframing tool for yourself. Um, I'm not going to talk about it anymore this week. Um, there, it's a great tool that you should be considering, especially if you've got people that you want to involve in uh, creating wireframes that are not very techy. Um, it's a great tool for getting project managers, stakeholders, people like that involved. You can find out more about it by going to boag.world forward slash balsamic. I'm going to add one thing in there as well. Go on. Um, 
that was, you know, I was talking earlier about, you know, it, it's not only a negative thing to want to grow a company. There are, there yeah. are fine reasons to want to, to do it. And I, I gave the kind of the Tesla Elon Musk yeah. uh, example. They're, that's what they're doing is another example. That when I, was, I, I think I mentioned it, you know, you want to give back, you, maybe yeah. from a charitable point of view, but maybe it's kind of like a, you love the community you're in and the only way that you can really kind of become make that a better place is by being a larger company so that's yeah. a really good example absolutely and i know a lot of agencies that are like that you know that mm. that they get to a certain size where they've got you know the capacity and stuff and they they start putting on local meetups and local yep. events and they open up their offices and actually clear left are a really great example of that they do that all the time um and you know i've got huge respect for companies that that you know go that extra mile and can do that kind of stuff so yeah it's great and then of course you can take on in- interns and you know oh mm. grown up stuff like that which is you know encouraging the next generation i'd love i'd love to do an internship program but it's really difficult you know when you're on your tod anyway mm. let's talk about our second topic which is driving quality traffic right um and i mean the course that i've created doesn't is not a marketing course at all right it is about site conversion it's about um site usability user experience you know that kind of stuff so but i couldn't when i sat down to write it i couldn't not talk about what the, the the mechanisms that drive traffic to the site to begin with right mm. because some channels are going to be more effective than others and you'll get different channels and if you've got a bad channel with a poor conversion rate it's going to drag down your overall site conversion right so let's say you wanted to increase the conversion rate on your website right let's say for some reason it was running at an amazing 20 percent conversion rate not that sites ever do but let's say it did and let's say you had three channels right you were using pay-per-click advertising mm-hmm. you were using social media and you were using email marketing right and those were driving traffic to your site and let's say the the pay-per-click was converting at five percent right your social media was converting at 25 percent um and then your email was was um uh, converting at 30 percent right so yep. collectively, all those three channels would be converting to 20%. The site itself would have a conversion rate of 20%. But if you just did something like, we'll go, well, pay-per-click isn't driving quality people, right? Because it's only converting at 5%. We might as well drop it. And you drop that. And so you've only got now email marketing driving at 30% and social media driving at 25 Suddenly, your conversion rate's gone up to 27% simply by spending less money right Mm. and so not all traffic is good traffic is what i'm getting at here right and it's about sending the right people to your site we need to attract the right kind of people i'll give you a, a, a real example of this something that a lot of the people listening to this show will be able to really associate with let's say you're running a web design agency okay Hmm. Well, let's use let's use yes, use Headscape as an example, right? Yeah. On Headscape, you Headscape works within a certain price bracket, right? So, typically, what's the average project value at Headscape, roughly? 
30 grand yeah so about a 30 grand value now but but equally they will go all the way up sometimes you'll do a 100 grand project right we do yes um so the problem is is that you could easily if you're just using something like pay-per-click or or even organic search results people have very very different expectations right a small business might only want to spend a few hundred quid on a website right um what and so if you if traffic like that's arriving at your site then then you know they're not going to convert they're going to and so your conversion where it's going to be rubbish because there's no way you're going to upsell them to a 30 grand project if they're expecting to pay a few hundred quid and this is kind of obvious stuff but it's so over often overlooked i'll give you another yeah. example also web i mean average website build projects would be more than that i mean it's we do a lot of kind of Smaller projects, consulting yeah. projects, which is why it brings that price down. But it would be more like yeah. 50-50 so you, for a website. So you don't, you know, you don't even want, re- you know, reasonable sized businesses that aren't willing to commit properly to doing a proper job on their website. You, you know, that's just gets in your way. It's not, it's not leads that you are of any value to you. So those people arriving at your website is an absolute waste of time. I could give you another more relevant example, which actually goes back to this masterclass again, right? For, mm. for maybe those of you that are not selling services, but are selling something like a course, right? A widget. Yeah, I've, I've been doing some Google AdWords work on that, right? I can drive traffic with Google AdWords very inexpensively to my site. Is, will that traffic convert? Probably not. And the reason being is when you have an ad promoting a video masterclass, a lot of people are going to go in with the expectation of paying, you know, Skillshare prices or Udemy prices of like $25 or something. So they arrive on my landing page and they're seeing a course that's $325 and they immediately leave because that's not within their price bracket. So what do I do? I actually mention the price in the Google Ads word so that I only get people that are the right kind of people who've got the right kind of mindset for the product that I'm selling, right? Really, yep. really important. The other thing, right? So it's not just a price sensitivity here when we're talking about driving quality traffic. The other factor that's at play is where people are in the purchasing process, right? So let's imagine a scenario where um, somebody is buying, I don't know, making a, um, a big purchase, like a new car, right? Increasingly, people actually are buying cars online. You know, it's a different world than it used to be. So we'll, we'll imagine this scenario. You're buying a car online. Now, buying a car is a long journey, okay, that involves uh-huh. many different... No pun intended. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't even realize I was doing it. Um, <laughs> So it involves a lot of different steps and a lot of, you know, back and forth and consideration, you know, going from the point of going, oh, our old car just failed its MOT, you know, we probably ought to look at buying a new one, to the moment you handed the keys. There's a lot that goes along in that journey. Yes. And, and if you attract people to your website at the wrong time in that journey, or more specifically ask them for the wrong call to action at the wrong time in that journey then you're going to be wasting your time because they're not going to be ready for whatever the action is your website is offering, right? So, for example, if your website 
just is focused around that that point of conversion of actually placing an order then you don't want people too early on in the journey coming to the site because it's not going to be of any relevance to them right and they'll forget about you by the time that you actually they're actually ready to purchase so you need a very clear picture uh, well there's two sides of it one is you need a very clear picture of what role your website plays in that overall journey where it starts and where it stops right mm. so does it help a car owner who's researching different cars to buy or does it is it focused that people have already made that decision and then secondly you need to make sure you're driving only that right type of person to your site especially if you're using paid advertising and things like that and that's why it makes it so pointless, some of the dark patterns you see, right? So, you know, when you go, some, you go to a website and they trick you into signing up to an email newsletter, right? Uh, if, if people are not at the point of being ready to sign up to the newsletter and effectively you trick them into doing it or cajole them into doing it, then all you end up with is a big mailing list of people, the wrong type of people. And that's not going to convert. You can have a terrible conversion rate on that mailing list. So it's really, Worse really... Worse than that, I would argue. Yeah. You'd also well, have you... negative publicity, probably. Absolutely. You're going to alienate people. You're going to irritate mm. people. But even if you set that aside, it's still not going to mm. work for you. And we get okay. more into the dangers of persuasion later in the season. And it also shows why customer journey mapping is so important, which I know is something that you've been speaking on a lot recently, Marcus, haven't you? It is, Yes. Um, so, yeah. Sorry, carry on. Oh, I thought you were going to say something <laughs> profound at that point. I should have known better. <laughs> My mistake. But yeah, both both Marcus, um, and, well, Headscape and, and myself, we spend a lot of time doing customer journey mapping precisely so that you, you are targeted in what you're asking and when you're asking it. Um, and that, you know, when you dr- you're driving the right kind of people at the right kind of time. So there's your, your, your two... Um, lessons for today decide on your metrics be very focused about the type of traffic you're driving to the website unless you get that right all of the other things that we're going to cover in the rest of the season are going to be pretty much pointless um so make sure you start there all right um marcus do you have a joke to wrap us up with i do i've got to find it hang on well while he's looking that up I'll just say, if you want to find out more about the masterclass, go to boag.world forward slash CRO dash masterclass. Okay. Was that not, did I stall long enough then with a pointless ad? Uh, Yeah, perfect. Okay. Um, This is from David Phillips uh, on the Boag World Slack channel. You might even get this one. You might not. I don't know. What is the name of Albert Einstein's evil brother? What is the name of Albert Einstein's evil brother? Frank Einstein. Frank is... Uh, oh! <laughs> Actually, I really like that one. Frank Einstein. That's excellent. That is, <laughs> that is the be- one of the best jokes we've had in a very long time. Was that David, did you say? David Phillips, yes. Thank you, David. Yeah, thank you. If you... If you want to contribute jokes or just join it, come join us in the Slack channel. It's really fun in there. We have lots of great conversations. Um, we have a lot of good moans. You can do that by going to boagworld.com forward slash slacking. Uh, we'd love to see you involved. Um, next week, we're going to talk about, um, we're going to get into psychology, right? Ooh. We're going to look at how, I know, I, 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 I feel intelligent when I do the next uh, next sessions. It's amazing what you can learn from Joe Leach. 
Um, I'll to put a link to Joe Lee Shortnight in, in, uh, in uh, next week's show. Um, okay, so we're going to be talking about how we think and how that influences us making decisions. So that's the plan for next week. But until then, thank you very much for joining us on this new season of the Boag World Show. Oh,